the third Sunday, the candle's not purple, it's pink. It's pink in, in, in recognition that this Sunday has a name and a purpose. This, the name of this Sunday, dating back 1,500 years, is... All right, I know it. Hold on. I, I, I used to pronounce it wrong, and I'm now I'm trying to get it right. Uh, God did... God did Tay? Yeah, yeah. God did... God did Tay. Ah, it's not right. Okay, uh, move on. Um, uh, I, I said it right for two services, and I've got it wrong for the third. It means, in Latin, rejoice. Rejoice. And here's the reason why the church would need to take a pink candle and the word rejoice and put it in the middle of the season of Advent. It's because up until that point, the, the church had used these weeks before Christmas with the entrance of the birth of the Savior of the world to have people to be penitential and prayerful and inward focused and yet for all of the good that that is our human condition is to take a thing that's meant for good and turn it to bad and that's exactly what we the church did 1500 years ago we took advent and got so rigid and so focused and so stiff and so serious with it that leaders in the church the early church, the Catholic church from which we are derived, they said, we need, to, we need to remind people that in the midst of all of this seriousness about getting ready for Christmas, we can't lose hold of the joy. And therefore, we have a Sunday with a pink candle. And the priests would wear their rose-colored robes to remind the people, don't get so serious to leave out the joy. This is how we are making our way to Christmas. And our church has been doing it for the first two weeks of Advent by listening and, and reading the listing of Matthew's genealogy that starts his gospel account leading up to the birth of Christ. And so two weeks ago we heard the story of Rahab and a week ago we heard the story of Ruth and, and these stories with these women who shouldn't have made the list and yet they make the list remind us of this amazing thing that God is not just doing now but has been doing and it seems to be this pre precursor of how God works in the future as well. And we find ourselves today now not reading out of Matthew, but listening to how Luke would prepare us for Christmas. And so I invite you to find your way to the first verses of Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, if you'll turn with me. Luke, the most intentional guy on the gospel street, says... Many people have already applied themselves to the task of compiling an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used what the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to us. Now, he says, after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, I have also decided to write a carefully ordered account for you. 
He says, I've been intentional. That's what he's saying. I'm intentionally being intentional so that, so that we're all clear on everything that you need to know. He actually says, and, and, he, and he refers to most honorable Theophilus. That's the recipient of this letter. It, uh, it was one of the clues that, that this letter, Luke, and, and, and the book of Acts, which is also written to most honorable Theophilus, were written by the same hand, the same writer, Luke and Acts. He says, I want you to have confidence in the soundness of the, extru- in the instruction you have received. So what is he saying here? He's saying, I've intentionally chosen and laid out the story of the Savior of the world and God's work in the world. And then the very next thing he does is to intentionally give us stories before the birth of Christ. So we, the church, lean in to hear this is what Luke says we must know before Christmas arrives. And it goes like this. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. So, so what it said is that, is that there's these two, these two married, this married couple, and it's Zechariah and Elizabeth, that he's a priest, which means he's of the lineage of Aaron, and she happens to also be of the lineage of Aaron probably 50 generations before. And that they were both blameless and righteous in the sight of God. Now, this is language specifically chosen by Luke to, to, to press every button on the dashboard so that we would see for certain that this thing that's happening now is connected to the stories that happened back then. Because, because to say that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth now were blameless and righteous in all of the observance of the Lord's commandments, right? That's what it says. So it's, to say that here is to invoke the very language of how righteous, faithful people were talked about in the Old Testament. He's saying, and you've heard me say this before, he's saying this over here, is connected to this back here. These two are in that tradition. And so this is a great introduction until we get to verse 7. They had no children. The worst single thing you could say about a woman of age is they had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant. And they were both very old. Now, now, every single commentary I've read, every single commentary you could put your hands on, on this passage, is just completely unified and clear around this statement. That at the time, it was understood that for a woman to not have children was clearly an indication that she was being punished for something she had done. Now, I want you to look to your neighbor and say, that's not true, and we know it's not true. Any longer around, hold on, let me back up, let me go. You guys are confused. All right, let me, uh, that's not how pregnancy works. Say that. (laughs) Okay, that's not how pregnancy works. There's more involved than that. And yet at the time, so we're clear, yet at the time, this was 
the custom, this was the tradition, this was the, the, the mistaken belief around why a, a, a couple would either have children or not have children. It was the woman's fault. But this doesn't add up. It says in the previous verse that she was blameless and righteous in the eyes of God. There's something else going on here. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. There were actually 24 divisions that were like the 24 grandchildren of Aaron. And they were all divided up and they, they take turns. And amongst the hundreds of priests that would come out of their homes, they would all make their way to Jerusalem at their appointed time. And then they would, they would, they would, they would draw by lots, like this lottery on who would, who would go in. It says, he was uh, uh, following the customers of his priestly service. He was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. You've heard this described before. This is one of those few times during the year in which the priest would, uh, would, would have this rope tied around him and he would walk into the inside of the inside of the inside of the temple just in case something like a medical you know uh, emergency were to happen and and he couldn't make his way out they would be able to pull his body back because it was too holy to go in there after him it says all the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering an angel of the lord appeared to him Standing to the right of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children. And he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, it gives me chills every time I've heard it this week, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time, but because you didn't believe, you will remain silent unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, outside, the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he gestured to them and couldn't speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept to herself for five months, saying, This is the Lord's doing. He has shown his favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. This, this, this is Elizabeth. At what, at what is understood to be the end of her days, realizing that there is still more that God is doing. This, this, is, this is a child of God who says, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and it did not come true and I, 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 I quit on my prayers. The thing I wanted to happen that I moved on from, 
that I've thought there's no chance of it any longer? It's now happening. And she saw it as a blessing from God. I mean, even in that exchange between the angel Gabriel, it's fascinating. He's first mentioned, uh, he's first mentioned in the Bible as, uh, as a messenger in the book of Daniel, and he comes to Daniel, and it's the exact same exchange. I'm not, not exactly, but, but, but he makes an appearance, and Daniel's uh, uh, very afraid, and then he gives his message, and when it's over, it says that Daniel couldn't speak, and the same thing happens to Zechariah here. Because again, the New Testament is being written to remind us that God has been at work beforehand. The angel comes to Zechariah in this story and says, that prayer you prayed? And Zechariah surely says, all right, no offense, angel, but I'm a priest. I've prayed a few prayers. Which one are you talking about again? He was like, you know, you know the one that you prayed and prayed and prayed that, that you'd have a child? It's coming true now. There's no way because it doesn't work like that anymore. Luke, Luke interrupts this story to tell another story of, it turns out, one of Elizabeth's relatives, a cousin, who's not supposed to be able to get pregnant, and she gets pregnant also. And in the middle of that annunciation, in the middle of that announcement from the angel and from heaven to, uh, to, to Elizabeth's cousin, it says this, Look, this is verse 36 and 37. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive, in quotes, is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. And when the story of Elizabeth picks up again, this story that Luke says we've got to know in order to be ready for Christmas, it says, verse 57, when the time came for Elizabeth to have her child, She gave birth to a boy. Her neighbors and relatives celebrated with her because they had heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. On the eighth day, this this tradition is combined, on the eighth day it was time to circumcise the child and they wanted to name him Zechariah. So so apparently the tradition at the time was the circumcision and the naming would happen in the same ceremony. And it, says, and it says all these relatives that are gathered around, the community that's gathered around, wanted to name him Zechariah. What, what they're saying is, we want to name him Junior, right? Now, what we, what we, don't, what we don't know clear, but, but the commentaries have taught us, is that, that they want to name him, and they're so boldly going to name him Junior. Now, this is, hear me, this is not the mom and dad that want to name him Junior. This is, this, these are the relatives, the aunts and uncles, you know? Do you have an aunt or uncle that would be so bold as to think they should name your child? You probably do, right? This is them. This is them. But, but, but what we don't understand is that, that they were so boldly doing that because it was the father's place to name the child at the time. It was the father's place. The mother might, you know, have done the work for nine months, but the dad got to pick the name. But guess what? Nine months later, and Zechariah still can't speak. So so it says it this way. They wanted to name him Zechariah because that was his father's name. But his mother, Elizabeth, replied, no, his name will be John. And they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. 
Then they began gesturing to his father to see what he wanted him to call him. And after asking for a tablet, he surprised everyone by writing, His name is John. What's what's clearly indicated here is that Elizabeth said that and that he could not hear her because they were gesturing to him. So not only was he unable to speak what he's unable to hear, he could not hear her and he came up with the exact same name. At that moment, Zechariah was able to speak again and he began praising God. All their neighbors were filled with awe, and everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, what then will this child be? Indeed, the Lord's power was with him. This is the word of God for we the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God for every person who believes that life has passed them by for every person who's ever prayed and it not been answered and believed well that that that's something I've moved on from from every person who's ever uttered the words oh God I need this and believe that that message was lost in translation or placed on a shelf Here is the opening story of Luke's gospel that tells us, wait for it. Wait for it. This is is how Keith Nickel, a commentator, writes. Luke heaps miracle upon miracle. First, Elizabeth has a child, which has seemed impossible. Second, they agree upon a name without even discussing it. Finally, Zechariah speaks after being silent for nine months. The abundance of wonders in this passage compels the church to ask, where do we look for God? And what do we expect the call, the place, the person, the event to disclose for us about God's presence? Instead of surrendering to our strong inclination, this is his nice word for you and I being hard-headed, okay? Instead of surrendering to our hard-headedness to decide those things in advance, usually long before the epiphany actually occurs, we need to develop the discipline of watchful, expectant, but also unconditional waiting. Church. Since, since when did we think it was okay to say, well, God's busy. He probably forgot about me. Well, the, the, the world's hectic. He must have been doing something else. Luke opens with a story, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I've said this now, two services, I'm going to say it a third time, all right? And I'm going to keep the back door real close by. God opens with a story that reminds us that he still has jobs for old people. That's what this says. The world says, ah, we're looking for the strong, the bright, the young, the got it together, right? uh, Resumes wanted. Old people need not apply. You with me? Luke says, forget that. When when you think you have nothing left to offer, that's exactly who he's picking. And, And it's worth, and I'll say this for just a second, it's worth mentioning 
that he does all of this from inside the religious institution. Here's a priest who's married to the, to the daughter of the priestly tradition, who's at work burning incense inside the temple. It doesn't get any more inside than this. Now later on in the gospel, Luke knows that, that the institution of Judaism at the time massively needed to get overhauled, massively needed to get just wiped out. But at the time, he starts with a story that says, I, God, can still work inside of the institution. All of this around this idea that joy is a sign of the activity of God. Joy goes hand in hand with God at work. Joy is the indicator that God is up to, up to something. So if you encounter someone without joy, you, it begs the question, where's the room for God to work if there's no joy there? Th this week I had an experience that at the time I could not figure out and God's still revealing it to me. And I'd like, I'd like to share it with you. It was, uh, it was Thursday. I'd had lunch with, uh, with some folks in the church, Ken and Sally. And we, uh, we, we, were, we were talking about football. We were talking about the Bible. We were talking about Christmas shopping. And at some point we were talking about, uh, we were talking about Rahab and Ruth. They both know the Bible well. And uh, we're up at a fine uh, dining establishment on Russell. We were eating pretty big. Um, it was, uh, you might have heard of it. It's a place that's, uh, that specializes in hamburgers, hot dogs, barbecue, and et cetera. It says it on the sign. <clears throat> and, uh, and there we are. And, and, and so the, 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 our meal is over, and Ken's still inside, and Sally and I are out on the front steps with the, 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 the traffic of the holidays on Russell Parkway flying by. And I'm, I'm looking for help for this, Monday's, this, this Sunday morning's sermon. And so I, I turn to her and I say, hey, we, we talked about Rahab and Ruth in there. This Sunday, we're going to be talking about Elizabeth. What do you know about that story? Because she knows the Bible well. And she says, I love that story. And my favorite part, and just then the door opens, just then the door opens to the restaurant, and out comes a woman. And I had seen her inside, and I kind of knew what was going on, and I wasn't trying to be nosy. And she comes out, and she walks up boldly to the both of us and says, the folks inside gave me permission to ask you two for help. And she goes immediately into her little script. She says, down on our luck, I need cash. I need money to buy uh, bread, cereal, milk, for my family. And then she goes on and starts talking some more and talking some more. And I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm going to have to do this and this. And I got that. And, and, um, and, and so she talks some more. And then at some point, when she's about done telling us her story and her needs and her wants, right, uh, uh, Sally, uh, Sally slips off. And, and, I'm, and I'm left standing here. And, uh, and Ken walks off. And, and they get in the car, which is actually perfect because I'm about to have to tell her what I think she doesn't want to hear 
which is in my years of being a pastor, and I tell her I'm a pastor of a church down here in Bonaire, and that we've got a food pantry, but that I, and, that, and that if she could come to the food pantry tomorrow, we would give her so much food, because it happens to be one of our two biggest days of the whole year, because it's Christmas, and she says, I don't have a car, and, and I kind of believed her she didn't have a car. And I said, now, now I can't give you cash, because in, I, didn't say, I didn't have to say this, she was kind, but in my experience, I've, I've realized that, 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 that if you give some people cash for the thing that they want, they'll turn around and spend it on something they didn't mention. And so, and so we as a church, and I, I don't give cash, and, but I didn't have to say all that. I said, uh, I said, I can't give you cash, but I'll go buy your groceries. I said, now remind me, cereal, milk, bread. She said, yeah, cereal, milk, bread. I have, um, I have little one, I got a family, and I'm just, and I was like, yeah, okay. And I said, now what's your address? And she, she gave it to me. And she said, now let me tell you, hey, get there. And I was like, well, I can put it in the GPS. She said, no, the GPS isn't going to work. And I was like, okay. I mean, it's Google. knows everything. <laughs> I'm getting set up, right? She says, no, you, you go down, Russell, and you turn right. And right before I leave, I say, um, now tell me your name. And she does. And then without taking a breath, she says, I'm 60 years old. And four years ago, the Lord saw fit to bless me with a child. So I get in the car, I type in the address, I'm driving down to the grocery store, I'm shopping, I grab the stuff, I added some mac and cheese, all right. But I get the cereal, the bread, the milk, I put in the GPS, and I'm paying attention now, and I'm going down Russell, and I cross over Houston Lake, and I'm getting to those, those curves, and sure enough, the GPS says, turn left. But she told me I needed to turn right. And so, I turn right, thinking, I'm going to respect her. And it's not right. And I end up turning back left again. And I go all the way to exactly where the GPS says, and her house is not there. And I have to go back across Russell Parkway. And at this point, hang with me now, the phone rings and it's Sally. She's calling to check on me, see if I'm lying in a ditch right now. Because she kind of knew what was up. And I said, I'm not lying in a ditch, but I'll tell you, the woman's right. The GPS doesn't get you there. And so I finally pull up and I find the the street and uh, uh, Red Fox Run. Yeah, you know it. Yep, Red Fox Run. It's on both sides of Russell Parkway. And hers is on that side, not that side. Google's a liar. <clears throat> and I leave the groceries at the mailbox with a guy who's there because she'd called ahead. And I get back in the car, and I'm driving out of this little neighborhood. And, uh, and Sally says, now, tell me again what she say to you after I left. And I'm playing back in my mind the words she said that I had not thought about. She told me her name. And then she told me, I'm old, and God gave me a child. And Sally said, what was her name? It was Elizabeth. What do you do with that? She didn't hear us. She was inside when we were having that conversation. When she walked out, we stopped talking. And she walks out the door and says, I'm Elizabeth, and I was old, and the Lord saw fit to bless me with a child. 
Let's pray. Lord, we believe that your word is intentional. That it might change our hearts. That it might return us back to you. That we might turn back around from all the ways that we have gone and gotten stiffened by the world. And you would return us to joy. Help us to see you at work. Help us to slow down and know that you are there. Help us to believe that when we have quit even keeping up with our prayers, we would trust that you have not. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.